The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show. On Relevant Radio. I've talked at length about this growing union of countries, the BRICS, who have just admitted five other countries into the fold. Of course, we have Egypt and Ethiopia and Iran and Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. There's over 20 who have formally applied subsequently with another 20 plus who have informally applied the numbers. Depending upon who you listen to, Putin just came out and said it's 30 that have formally applied. Whatever the number is, it is a growing union. It's the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, you know, it gives me pause. It really does. I've had other people say, oh, don't worry about it. You know, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll talk. Let's talk a little about Brex coming up here, too. Uh, Peter Grandich is going to be stopping by. We'll get his... His take on it. BRICS is an acronym. If you don't know what that stands for, it represents an association of five major um, national economies, emerging economies, really. Brazil and Russia, India, China, and South Africa. That's where you get uh, BRICS from. Uh, but as you just heard that audio, there's more coming on board. And uh, we can get into that this afternoon. You, you, if you want to join me, feel free to dial in. The number is 888-914-9149, You know, this whole concept of BRICS is often seen as a symbol, the shift in global economic power away from the G7, uh, those developed economies and, and towards the developing world. And uh, the group's activities are very closely watched, and they can have implications on everything from trade to, you know, global economic stability to geopolitics. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. I mean, gosh, it deserves an hour of conversation. But Peter Grandish is going to be stopping by. I don't know if you've been watching anything else. I've been keeping my eye on the market today, too. If you looked at the stock market alone as a gauge for how the economy is going, you think everything is it's fantastic, right? Uh, all three uh, of the major indices closed at near record highs today with the S&P 500 reaching its first record close in two years. Investors right now are hoping that the Fed is going to start to cut interest rates again. I had heard maybe March. Uh, consumer sentiment is also on the upswing, according to the University of Michigan. And guess what? Gas prices are coming back down to earth. The federal government claims that they're getting inflation in hand. And I, I guarantee you, look, we're in a runway right now. We've got a couple months before general election. You don't want a bad economy come poll time. You don't want high gases, right? Is the market being propped up? Some argue it is. I'll find out from Peter what he thinks about that, too. Yet there are a lot of other factors going on in the economy that analysts who believe, uh, who look at this, believe we're kind of facing an economic crisis unlike anything we've ever seen, even the Great Depression. And I'm not here to depress you. I always want to just be objective and honest. I want us to be prepared for what might happen. And it probably is not going to happen this year. But they're saying it's on the near-term horizon. You know, so it's not that far off. And the number one factor hitting us, guess what? Something my next guest has always talked about. It's a four-letter word. D-E-B-T. Debt. Right? And you, you heard earlier President Biden announced that another 70,000 people are going to have their student loans forgiven. It's about $5 billion. Uh, that just adds to the $34 trillion that our country has in debt. Plus, there's personal debt that we have. Uh, credit card debt is over now a trillion dollars. Personal debt, I should say. I, I think it's credit card debt. I think it was a trillion is the number I saw. Maybe it's over that now. First time. Record amounts of mortgages, car loans, student loans. If, uh, you know, in, in only a few years, just the interest payments alone in our country's debt is going to take up 
all of what we currently are spending on discretionary spending. So let's talk about it. We can talk debt crisis, retirement crisis, how immigration plays a role in all this, BRICS, political paralysis, and nobody better than Peter Grandich to bring you a perspective on this that's uh, balanced and uh, objective. Uh, he calls himself the former Wall Street whiz kid, right? He wrote a book by that title, and he's got a great story. It tells you about how his faith led to true Catholic, uh, true Christian conversion, became a Catholic, actually. And uh, he's made millions, lost millions, battled depression, has been very open about that, and he's out to help. And if you need his insights, uh, check him out at petergrandich.com. PeterGrandich.com. If you like what he has to say, uh, check his company out, Peter Grandich and Company. Peter, good to have you back. Good afternoon. Uh, good to be back, and I assume you're now wearing a Packers jersey. <laughs> I have retired. I, I, I was on a pilgrimage not too long ago, and somebody gave me a Super Bowl, a, 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 a Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl hat. I had to retire that. Yes, I'm going to don the Packers jersey this weekend. Go Pack Go. <laughs> Who are you rooting for, Peter? I don't have that interest that I have when I left the sports world because of all the social and political stuff. Oh, well, you're a uh, Giant fan, right? I always, Huge yeah, giant well, fan. I worked with the Giants for 13 years. But, yeah. you know, I really have a feeling for the Detroit fans, you yeah, know, me 30 too. years without even making a playoff. And, uh, you know, really good team. You know, I, I like to root for teams like that versus, you know, you know, Kansas City's had its share. and. You know, not to have anything against them. Right, so no, I agree. I guess I'd root for, you know, the real underdog, whoever it may be. That's how I would be. I mean, we might see the NFC Conference Championship being Green Bay versus Detroit, which would be tough. And whoever advances, uh, I'll probably be rooting on. Like you said, I, I hate to root against other cities here. We're heard in cities all across the country. But those poor Detroit fans, it's been, what, 30 years for those guys? It's been a long Long time. I've got a nephew who's a huge Lion fan, <laughs> and every year he suffers. But uh, this this could be his year. Or so, uh, Peter, lots going on here too. I, I want your take on uh, what's going. The market looks great. I mean, it's been been pretty hot recently, and yet we know there's a lot of underlying things that don't look so great right now. Give me your uh, assessment or your analysis of of where we are. How do you see things? So, Drew, it's important to me to disclose this, I'm going to be celebrating my 40th year in and around the financial arena. I know, you know, God willing, there's some years left, but I'm certainly in this stretch and heading to the finish line. And at that time, I've concluded that we are, we're just got problems that are so acute that there's going to be no way of escaping it without a far worse situation than we currently have. So I made a decision. I told our clientele at the beginning of the year through a special podcast I'm not so concerned about what the stock market or any market's going to do in the next few months or maybe a year or two, but I do believe in my heart of hearts that in the next three to five years, tops, this country will see an economic, social, and political upheaval that will make the Great Depression look like a walk in the park. And wow. so, you know, that's a very, very negative outlook. It, I don't have any product or services that benefit from taking that outlook, but you mentioned and, and, and if you like, I'll go in detail, but yeah, I'll at least... Be, before you do, are. let me just interject, because, you know, that prognosis, three to four years, you know, we're talking 36, 48 months. I mean, time flies. What would you suggest? I know a lot of listeners probably right now saying, what do I do to preempt that? I mean, how do I say safe? And I'm assuming your number one thing is reduction of debt. You know, we have a debt crisis, but, but what advice should you give to people to prepare for something that could potentially be worse than the Great Depression? Yeah, well, I think from the early days of being privileged to be here on Relevant Radio, 
you and I have spoken about one topic more than any other topic, and that is the, the, the troubles with debt. If you think about it, our national debt back in 2019 we thought was already large at $22 trillion. It's increased 50% in less than five years. We're now at $34 trillion. In fact, last year to this year, we increased almost $3 trillion just in one year. These, these increases in this debt and then serving that interest uh, that needs to be paid, not counting all the money that the country has to come up for Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, is going to become an acute issue to pay just the interest. And so it's no longer something that's, well, it's out there, but it's so far off, we really don't have to worry. I believe it's something, as I said, that within three to five years is going to be a, a prime uh, critical issue that we're facing. So the first order of business, it's been since I first started talking to you, Drew, and that is in our manual of life as Catholic and Christians, we, the Bible is it, and there's not one positive verse in that a fantastic financial book besides a, a manual to life. And therefore, uh, being out of debt or lowering debt should be the priority of all, all good Catholic Christians. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's taught, we're, we're warned about it, and we've seen the, the issues when, when people and, and countries itself uh, get too much debt. And you brought up some good points in your opening. Not only is it on a national level, but it's also on a consumer level. And it's also on a corporate level. And so I think that's the first order of business. Now, the other thing that we have to recognize, if this is going to continue in the way that I see it happening, is governments only have a couple choices. They can raise taxes and they can cut services. And, and so I suspect both those things will happen. So we're probably going to be looking at higher tax rates and less government services. That's just from the debt crisis. The other four the retirement crisis. We have 65% of Americans working paycheck to paycheck. Unfortunately, a lot of people are not going to reach that nirvana that they turn on the financial networks and those companies advertise of, you know, living happy after after playing with the grandkids, fishing, golf, and all that. It's just not coming, Drew. It's just something that we need to own up to. And it's going to be far more difficult as that group ages to continue working in the matter that they were younger. So the retirement crisis is another critical issue. But the other one, the other two that really are gaining straight, and I think are even going to be much bigger than the retirement crisis, one is the immigration situation. You, you just can't expect 10, 15, 20 million people to come who are really coming with their shirts in the back. I'm not here to discuss the political implications. I'm not here to discuss whether some of them may be bad people or but by and large, most of those people are just coming because they're seeking a better life than where they were. Well, they're coming with just the shirts on the back. So almost all of them are going to become part of the additional services that are going to be required by the government. Remember, the government doesn't earn money on its own. It it takes it from somebody through taxation and fees in order to, to, to take care of others. And that is not something that's being discussed. And what's happening now, Drew, in that area is it was one thing a couple of years ago watching news reports of a border. Then in the last year, we started to see it in cities. But now we're seeing everyday life in people's lives being impacted. It People are asked to leave schools. People losing uh, lodging because they have to service. 
people are going to get to the point and go, well, wait a minute, we're not just seeing that in the United States as well. It's happening in Ireland and other places, too. So the immigration situation is going to be an acute issue. Yeah. Then the last two, one that you talked about, it's probably one of the more important ones, and that's what's happening with the BRIC nations. As these governments come together and form trading groups, let's remember one thing. They're not keeping us in it. They're keeping us out of it. They do not want to be involved with the United States. They want to trade away from the United States. So as that grows and gets bigger, that can only be a disservice to us, not beneficial to us. And last, political paralysis, because when this is all said and done and these issues become so acute that we have crises that everybody's seeing now and going through, we have two parties now that not only will they not work with each other, but there's members within each party that don't want to work with other members of the party. So I see political paralysis at a time when we're going to have to make some really tough decisions that are going to impact us and not impact us for a year or two, but a generation or more. Yeah, well, let me do this. I'm going to open the phones. We'll take a few calls for you. If you want to join us, I only have Pete, Peter, maybe another 10 or 15 minutes. Toll free for you to get in. 888 914-9149, My guest today, Peter Grandage. Denise is listening in Chicago, Peter. She's got a question for you. Denise, good afternoon. Thank you. Peter, appreciate your opinion. What do you think of the possibility of if Donald Trump is elected, which I hope he will be, uh, he held down inflation, he held down the cost of gas, groceries, Economics times were good. The pandemic did a lot of damage, but he was excellent on trade. He created tariffs. He protected industries. And since Biden's been in office, we've had rampant inflation. Just want to know what your opinion is, not, you know, I vote, I'll vote right. for him. What right. do you think of him economically as a president? The thing that I feel there, and I understand the need and the feeling for people that wish to choose to to vote for Donald Trump, uh, clearly because what what Biden has done in a few years in the administration, I can't find anything that I can view as a positive for myself and for what I think is important for the nation. But the issue that I think Donald Trump is going to face is if you think what they've done uh, to hurt him up till now, what are they going to be like if he gets in again? And so as great as it is and as great as I, you know, we would hope, and I'm sure that's what people will vote for him, hoping that he can unravel some of these things. I think his challenge in this term will be far greater uh, to overcome what people did to him in his first term. So, But Peter, outside of that, just uh, from an economic perspective, um, you know, he's going to be handed a basket of crap, right? I mean, the economy's in a terrible uh, way, a whole litany of other problems that we're facing. You just can't flip a switch and make it all better, right? So will he be able to correct that? Will it take a long time? Will the president that follows his administration reap the benefits of what he does? I mean, how will Trump impact, you know, what is right now a very problematic confluence of, of, of issues? My own personal opinion is just an opinion, uh, and it can only be speculated because we won't know until it actually happens. I think he will at least slow down some of the things that we spoke about that are turning bad, but there's a lot of things that are even out of his hand that have been put into motion that really don't have anything that can be reversed on. So I, is he, if you're asking me to be completely candid, is he a better choice than Biden? Yes. Uh, 
I, I can't imagine, first of all, I don't even know if that man can actually operate for another four years, uh, let alone, you know, be, be worthy. But I think it's, like I said, I think it's even a bigger issue because there's people within his own party yeah. who really don't want to see him in. So it'd be, well, it'd be very, it's going to be, no matter who it is or what it is, it's an extreme challenge and a challenge that I think is going to be too great to overcome without going through a, a very difficult period that's going to last very long and impact a lot of people. So you see, I think, you know, what we have to look at, too, as part of the equation is policy. One of the first things that the Biden administration did is they made us, you know, we were energy independent. And now we're not, Absolutely. right? Our strategic petroleum reserve is empty. And you just take a look at all these bad policies. You take a look at the uh, America Rescue Plan and all the different, the trillions of dollars have been spent on, uh, since uh, the Biden administration has been in. And we're continuing to throw dollars on this inflationary fire. And it's not helping anything. So, you know, policy has really helped, I think, to foment and facilitate where we are right now. Um Trump's got to, you know, change a lot of those particular policies, and we'll see what the uh, what it's going to be like on Capitol Hill. I mean, th this election, there's a lot that hangs in it uh, in, in the future of this country, militarily, economically, a whole litany of other things that we're going to have to deal with, wokeism, all those things that, that threaten us. So we'll be talking a lot more about the election, but when it comes to the economy, I think policy drives an awful Awful lot of that. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. If you want to get in, my guest today, Peter uh, Grandage, and Liz is listening to us in Houston, Texas. Liz, hi, you're on the air with Peter Grandage. Good afternoon. Hi, Peter. Um, I'm wondering if you have any recommendations for how people can protect their savings from what you see coming. I've been worrying about it quite a bit. Mm. Yeah. Uh, well, let me just first say, and I don't want to speculate just based on your voice, but one of the biggest concerns within part of that retirement crisis is seniors or people approaching the senior age. They are now, they're more fearful now of running out of assets than they are of passing. And, and that's a very, very concerning factor. So it's not only where to save, but will we have enough uh, to get through? We're living longer, costs to live that longer are increasing and so forth. And a lot of the general financial planning that's done or has been done for those people didn't take that into strong consideration or got very dependent on above average returns to keep happening in order to supplement that. I, I would just say that uh, the, the first thing is pare down debt. The second thing is do a budget. I, I, it is just an amazing when people sit down and for 30 or 60 days literally write down everything they spend on, they realize that they're spending money or, or, or ways that, that they could actually cut back. And Drew and I have spoken about an attitude I had for about half of my career. The first half I didn't, but in my last 20 years, I've just adopted a less is more attitude. I could live at a higher standard. I could have a bigger house or what some people might say is a nicer car, but it would be a lot more expensive and put a lot more financial strain on me. So I would tell you to be as conservative as possible and you know, to, to recognize that some of the things that the world tells us that we need is going to make us happy is really not true. And therefore, less is more is one of the best ways to approach it. Uh, every time I talk to Peter, I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's just, oh, you're so right. But gosh, it's it really is it really is hard for for a lot of people. I I think about it, gosh, what can you cut back? How much more austere can people be? Um, you know, you want to live your life too. Uh, and I know it's a struggle for a lot of people who are listening. Let me go back to the phones. A lot of people uh, 
tuned into here from around the country, from Boston and California. In fact, David is in uh, Santa Maria, California, Central Coast there. David, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Drew. I, my sense is that um, whatever party gets elected, and for me, I'm much more willing to accept austerity measures from Donald Trump. I think the thing about it is, is that we're going to have to accept those, and we, we still need hope. If we're going to go through this economic time, for me, someone who is promoting baby killing, because that's what this administration uh, is promoting, is not somebody who has hope in. But Donald Trump, when he championed school choice, he championed the pro-life movement. Those are things that are going to give me hope. I'm willing to fight for because we have to fight through this economic struggle. And just like Peter was saying, We've got to form a budget. We've got to be able to do those things. But you can't do those things when you're in this, for me, it's like this addictive mentality or this always, oh, we're going to get more. That's not what I sense from from this Donald Trump, that he's saying, hey, we have a challenge before us. That's what I hear. All right. Hey, David, thank you. I'm going to let Peter respond. Peter. So one of the things that hasn't been talked about yet, even by the people such as this gentleman and, quite frankly, myself, who would like to rather see Trump in than Biden, and as, as those are the two prime candidates at the moment, uh, is what will be the supporting uh, cast be like? Will he have enough support? Will the Senate somehow flip? Uh, will he get a bigger spread in Congress that can, because, uh, you know, there's, there's some that act as Republicans, but in, in name only. So I think those are all critical. And those things, by the way, Drew, are only going to start impacting the markets over the next few months. As we move closer to this election, the things we've discussed and what this gentleman brought up are going to move to the forefront. And, uh, you know, it's tough enough if you use a crystal ball to try to make predictions, because I can tell you the only thing you'll learn after years is how to eat a lot of broken glass. <laughs> and so politics is also very tough. Things could change a lot. Uh, but I, I certainly concur with the gentleman that if I had to pick between one or the other, especially for how we're called to live our Catholic Christian life, Donald Trump uh, has demonstrated a much better attitude towards that than Biden has. So, you know, of the debt crisis, the retirement crisis, the immigration invasion, uh, the move towards uh, the the rise of these BRIC nations, the political paralysis, what do you see as the greatest threat? Well, the debt is going to be it because you can't get away from it. You know, when we start adding two to three trillion dollars a year now, uh, we, we have what's called the Congressional Budget Office. Early last year, they came out with a a report that really shocked a lot of people, and they said that it's their prediction that we're going to see $50 trillion in debt in less than 10 years. They're a bipartisan group, by the way. They don't normally favor one group or another. However, in recent times, they've lowered that to seven years because of how much more this government spending. In fact, this latest, we have still not created a budget. We do these moves that just push it off. We kick the can and we add hundreds of billions more into the debt. We did that again. So uh, I'm not optimistic that we'll even get past that issue, let alone the others. And the combination of them all drew and basically coming all together at the same time is what's really alarming to me. If we were dealing with just one or two of these, uh, I would probably have a much better uh, outlook than I do at the moment. Yeah, and just, just on the immigration issue, I had a person call a little bit earlier. We were talking about the issue of life. And, um, 
you know, it, our economy is one uh, going to be below, our, our nation is going to be below real replacement rate. But the number of migrants who are coming across the southern border, border I know that's been a concern for you. What, what's the main problem with that as you see it? Well, the main problem is not that, listen, I understand them. If I was where they were, remember, their countries are actually happy that they're leaving, not trying to stop them from leaving. But given what they had to live under and then what they see, what they can have here, I don't blame them for coming. But just think about this. When they arrive and they actually see and fulfill and have this, it's natural that they're going to tell all their friends and relatives where you are. I think you do a lot better here. So I don't see how this immigration uh, movement uh, ends or the lessons on their end. Somehow it has to happen on, on this end or where, wherever the country's going to. But, uh, right. you know, Europe, I didn't want to run out of time because I know we're going to run out of time. I saw you happen to have the only one of two people I've ever made political donations to is your next guest, Drew, <laughs> Congressman Chris Smith. And I got to tell you something, if you can get and clone Chris Smith and put 434 others in him, like in Congress, I would tell you that we could fix these problems. But unfortunately, uh, Chris has had almost been a one man ban on a lot of things. Yeah, I'm uh, glad he gets reelected because he's a he's a great, great uh, congressperson and he's done so much. He'll be joining me um, coming up in just just a few minutes here. So it's great to have him, Representative Chris Smith. let me see what else is. Oh gosh, we had tons of phone calls for you, Peter. I, I don't think we have time. Um, well, let me just let me give you final thoughts. Let me share with sure. you some of what's coming in in here. A lot of people are are actually saying um, they, they want to know how to protect themselves fundamentally from from what you see coming. But I'll give you final thoughts too. Well, the first and really only way, and, and I don't say this just sarcastically, we need to dig into our faith and we need to recognize that while we can all vision bad times and all it this is really such a short period compared to uh what really important our eternal life and i'll just go back to you i always tell you this i think the single thing that everyone should watch is is a video it's four minutes it's called a rope by a pastor chan and when you get and appreciate and understand what really important is life it's particularly our afterlife let's not get too caught up in this no matter how dire it comes but i also think that we have to have faith, and that we also have to try to live more as the good book teaches us. And you have to ask yourself, I didn't do that for my first 20 years, Drew. I didn't live for God. I was God. So I think it's important now more than ever that our faith becomes an extremely important part of our lives, including our financial life. Well, Peter, I'm grateful to share some time with you here. I appreciate your perspective and your insight. Next time you're here, we'll grab a few more calls. A lot of people really want to tap into your expertise. But if they want to talk to you, I know you've got a, it's an email that they can sign up for and tap into some of the information you send out on a pretty regular basis, or they can even get in touch with Grandage and company, right? What's the best way to do that? uh, PeterGranich.com, they can sign up for the blog. But I'm on Twitter. It's where I do most of my commentating. They can see it. They don't have to pay for anything. And at PeterGranish.com, there's a link that's called Suggested Readings, and all my book and all my writings about faith and money is there, and they can read it right online. They don't even have to give an email to, to get that. All right. Hey, brother, thank you. Enjoy your football weekend, too, okay? We'll catch up soon. And give my regards to Chris. I will do that right now. Thank you so much. That's Peter Grandich. Check him out at PeterGrandich.com. Best way to do it. Congressman Chris Smith is going to be stopping by. He is a, a great pro-life hero. He's a man who has defended the Uyghurs and has been a great representative. Um, we'll talk with him. We'll take your calls, too. Our conversation is going to continue. I hope you can hang out with me. I'll be right back. 
Wish you could hit rewind on that convo? Listen to the podcast on RelevantRadio.com or anywhere podcasts can be found. Hey, looking for a new job? How about one that offers opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. An Illinois Life Insurance Society, not available in all states. We're greatly encouraged and filled with hope and resolve. Lives are being saved. Yeah, we'll have a setback here and there. Every human rights struggle does, but we are undeterred. We will not give up. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. That's the powerful voice of Representative Chris Smith. Don't let setbacks get you down. Uh, He's going to be joining me in just a moment here. Uh, He was at the uh, March for Life. Um, Look, gosh, this election, you know, this election year, it's going to bring us all kinds of politicking and political games. It's also going to bring us another year of talking about the political role of abortion. And uh, the Biden campaign set off on a bus tour starting from Milwaukee. Of course, that was uh, headed by the vice president, Vice President Kamala Harris. She, of course, this whole administration has done nothing but push for a culture of death. And in fact, the last year, uh, the president's campaign manager announced that they're going to make this issue, right, abortion. What a macabre issue, right, to make it the number one issue on the campaign trail. What does that say about who you are, what you represent, what your party is, that you're going to champion a culture of death? I don't get it. But, you know, I've been wrong before. During the midterms, i got to be honest with you, I thought, the Dems are crazy. What are they rolling out and championing a woman's right to choose an abortion? That's not the economy. Look where we are, right? They should. Well, I was wrong. (laughs) They were right. Apparently, it resonated. Uh, We we talked about uh, what happened in Ohio and some other places. So I, I don't underestimate how confused and how divided we are as a nation. Uh, CBS News, uh, they were reporting that there's an extensive plan underway right now to include ad buys and campaign rallies and events all across the United States. Uh, this is all going to be in lockstep with the national, the Democratic National Committee, which is going to launch opinion pieces in local newspapers focusing on statewide abortion bans. They also have television and digital ads that are highlighting the personal impact of abortion restrictions that are going to air in swing states like Arizona and Pennsylvania and Georgia and Wisconsin. And one other thing here, too, and I want to play some audio for you. CBS, right, they say they have a a recent poll shows that 57 percent of Americans believe that abortion should be legal in all or most cases. A majority of Americans. I'll tell you, if that's the case, we are a nation that is in peril. We are a nation that is doomed. We got to get that right. It doesn't square with a, just to give you some hope here, doesn't square with the Knights of Columbus Marist poll. They just did a poll that came out. You know what it shows? And again, maybe CBS is just biased, right? I don't know what the parameters were for that. Um, the, the Knights of Columbus Marist poll says two thirds say abortion should be restricted after the first three months. So let me share with you a little bit of hope as well. Uh, Another very powerful clip here from our friend, Representative Smith from New Jersey, uh, calling out the federal government and the current administration on this macabre pro-death agenda. At least 25 states now have statutes that are either in effect 
or being litigated that protect life. My own state is one of the bad ones. Uh, we have abortion till birth, but we won't quit in New Jersey either and try to overturn a law that was passed by our governor and by the legislature. This week, two new important pro-life bills authored by two courageous lawmakers, Michelle Fishbach and Ashley Hinson, passed the House. We're working, and we're working for the babies and their mothers. Tragically, President Biden, the abortion president, has weaponized the entire federal bureaucracy to aggressively promote abortion on demand, including a full court press to force taxpayers to pay for it. Last Congress, President Biden's absolute support was for this, to say, and House Democrats passed this not once, but twice, legislation to enable and, and authorize abortion right up to the moment of birth. Think of it, all nine months, and that baby can be killed. And that's Biden's view. That extremist legislation poses an existential threat to countless women and to children. The Biden administration and some governors and lawmakers, including in the House and Senate, continue to smear and misrepresent the noble work of pregnancy care centers, and we can't let that happen either. We will never, and I know so many of you, especially over the years, we will never, 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 with the grace of God, never quit in our defense for the weakest and the most vulnerable. Thank you. Amen. That was Congressman Chris Smith. He was at the March for Life today and very eloquent words. He's going to join me in a second. Uh, that's where the Democrats stand on the issue. Uh, what about the Republicans? I know this is, this is tough. It's a little harder to tell. Donald Trump, of course, leads the polls, but he has blamed a strong pro-life stance on Republican congressional and statewide candidates losing in 2022, you know, losing at the polls. Nikki Haley, uh, I think it was at the first or second, one of the debates, um, you know, she said the same thing. Uh, she's reported to never have defended U.S. public policy while she was an ambassador. Uh, to the U.N. And then, of course, you got Ron DeSantis, who's running, the governor from Florida. He stated his opposition to abortion very clearly. So we've got a divided uh, house. Uh, there, there's uh, Where's the party going? Uh, you know, Senator Marco Rubio uh, from Florida, he put out a four-page letter yesterday outlining pro-life policies he thinks the party should pursue. And they all, to me, when I went through it, seemed to make sense. So... How do we shake this out, whether you're a Democrat or Republican? Uh, this is an issue that uh, you know, fractures parties on both sides. I'm joined right now by Congressman Chris Smith, a longtime representative from New Jersey's 4th District, a pro-life stalwart, as you just heard. And it's great to have him here with me today. Congressman, thank you for your time. Oh, thank you, Drew. Thanks for having me on. And for your years of great, great uh, commentary, incisive commentary and reporting. Well, thank you for saying that. Hey, you sounded great today at the, at the march. Well, what was that like? A good turnout, I'm assuming? Oh, it was a great turnout. And, you know, one estimate was 100,000. Wow. The weather couldn't have been worse. Yeah, you know, the know. snow was never stopped. It was windy. It was cold. Wow. Wet. Uh, and yet people were out in favor of mother and child, That's so uh, which are the victims of abortion. So, you know, I know you've been a defender of life, the unborn. I, I know you've been a champion for the Uyghurs and, and for so many others. Um, when it comes to this issue for life, I mean, I look, you've had a run for election. Um, what is it about the life issue? I mean, I, I really got the midterms wrong. How, how do you see 
where the candidates stand, whether it's Nikki Haley or Donald Trump or even the Biden administration, how critical is their stance on life when it comes to votes? Well, I think it's very, very important. And those who are finding a little trouble finding their voice need to rethink, you know, walking the other way or turning their back on an entire group of individuals who are being slaughtered. You know, 65.5 million unborn babies have been killed since 1973, uh, and that equates to every man, woman, and child living in in England, for example, or Italy, even more so. Uh, It's a massive loss loss of children's lives. I just left a, a forum where there were seven women who are survivors of abortion. They survived. They were the babies who were intended to be killed. Uh, and they spoke so eloquently about we're the face of what the abortionist is trying to uh, violently kill uh, through dismemberment or chemical poisoning, salt, whatever it might be. Uh, and they survived. And there are many, many survivors. Uh, unfortunately, the abortionist is often so good at their 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 very dark trade uh, that the babies do die. And I, and I even pointed out in my comments at the forum that I'll never forget there was a, a famous, um, incisive, and it was a very well-written piece by the Philadelphia Inquirer uh, 40 years ago called The Dreaded Complication. And it talked about how the abortionists would lament the fact that a baby would survive and maybe even go on to be adopted and that's what led to developing such horrible things like partial birth abortion uh, and other hideous methods, in that case, draining out the brain of a child, uh, sucking it out so that there's no chance of a baby surviving. I mean, this is, this is gruesome stuff. It's violence in the extreme. And, you know, that, that cavalcade, whatever it is that Biden's going to be doing, that's a funeral. It's a funeral for babies. It's a funeral for mothers um, to fend life. And, you know, Biden himself at least used to be against funding for abortion and claim that abortion funding, when you pay for it and subsidize it, is bad for the mother and it's bad for the child. And now he's, you know, for politics and genuflecting to what he thinks is, you know, a political positive thing to do. Uh, He is for abortion for all nine months and is pushing a bill that every Democrat except one in the House voted for twice to permit abortion right up at the moment of birth. That is to say, nine months uh, complete authorization uh, to kill that baby. That is child abuse in the extreme, and it also wounds the mother, sometimes takes their lives, but so often wounds them so deeply, uh, and that's so underappreciated and underreported as to the deleterious effects to women uh, as well. So I think party members on the Republican side need to find their voice, not be afraid, bend into the wind if it seems like that's what needs to be done. But I think, as the Maris poll underscored once again, is that the people really are with us. They need to hear our voices. You know, there was one question about placing limitations on abortion, and this is Maris, and they're very, very good at what they do. 66% of the people want limits, 33% want no limits. So that's the group that wants abortion till birth. They are not a majority of Americans. And when you look at it, the independents mm-hmm. tend to be very pro-life. Yep. Democrats, it was evenly split. Republicans was 84-15. But the independents were 66-34 um, saying that they, they, you know, so from a purely political calculus, um, being pro-life is a very, very good place to be. It's the right wow. place to be That's morally, great. but it's also a good place to be. And stop running away. 
you know, and, and really we need to make the Democrats um, you know, accept the burden of being for abortion till birth. Yeah. And, and don't, you know, just read the bills. You know, I, I debated both of those bills on the floor, along with both of my, a number of my colleagues. And frankly, Drew, um, you know, they, they, they just said, oh, we're misogynistic. We hate women, all this right. nonsense, uh, when simultaneously they're saying kill the baby, including the girl child, right up into the moment of birth. And, you know, Maris also pointed out, and we've had fights on this in the House, could never get the bill up in the Senate, about sex selection abortion, where an ultrasound is done to determine boy or girl. Yep. And if it's a girl, it's almost always the girl that gets killed. Wow. Um, 86% That's wild, of Americans, yeah. 86, 86, wow. want to outlaw that. Wow. And yet Planned Parenthood and all the other organizations yeah. and the Biden administration yeah. – is in favor of sex selection abortion. And you know what the Ugh, consequence has been globally? Horrible. We're missing as many women in just in, in, in China and in, it happens here all the yeah, time too, but in China and as well as in uh, India, that equates with all the women and girl children living in the United States of America. Every single yep. one of them. Right. 160 plus million have been killed through sex selection abortions and it's being promoted. Those are stunning numbers. Uh, Congressman, hold the thought, okay? I have sure. to take a short pause. When we come back, we'll pick it up, uh, and we'll take a few phone calls. If you're on hold, I'll do my best so you can speak to Congressman Smith. The number is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. I only have about 10 minutes left to hang out with you, so feel free to dial in. Our conversation, our look at life and the fight for life and the world of politics will continue. Your voice matters. Call in now at 888-914-9149 to tell Drew what you think. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. This hour is supported by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Join the nation's largest Catholic-oriented credit union and receive $200 when you add a direct deposit. Learn more at NotreDameFCU.com slash join. That's NotreDameFCU.com slash join. If a federal ban landed on your desk, if you were reelected, would you sign it at 15 Are you talking weeks? about a complete ban? A ban at 15 well, weeks. Well, people, people are starting to think of 15 weeks. That seems to be a number that people are talking about right now. Would you sign that? I, uh, I, would, I would sit down with both sides and I'd negotiate something and we'll end up with peace in that issue. I mean, DeSantis is willing to sign a five-week and six-week ban. Would you support that? You think I, that I goes think what he far? did is a terrible thing and a terrible mistake. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. There was a piece of audio from the former president. Caused a lot of debate, right? Especially in the Catholic world. Has Donald Trump softened his stance on life? I argued before that he's perhaps one of the most pro-life presidents that we have had. Uh, is he compromising his values, and where does everybody stand? I'm joined today by a very um, strong defender of life, Congressman Chris Smith from New Jersey. And, and Congressman, let me get your take on this just quickly, because this is something that's been coming up a lot. As these candidates mm -hmm. are trying to position themselves for this presidential run, uh, where do candidates stand? I mean, do, do some people say we need to soften our position and win the battle in order to win the wars. We lots of battles that will ultimately lead up to the war. And others say, no, we should never compromise and stay firm. Where, where do you stand on that? And how do you read the uh, sure. the wins when it comes to these candidates? Well, I believe we need to always have clarity. The unborn child is suffering violence in the extreme. Some do survive, but very few. Most are dismembered. They're decapitated. 
uh, you know, they're, they're beheaded during the process of an abortion. And even the abortion pill, which is well over 50% of the abortions right now, even that, how does it work? I asked some uh, UN leaders the other day, including Secretary General Gutierrez, uh, I had a meeting with him in my office. I said, do you know how the abortion pill, which the UN is pushing very hard, works? It starves the baby to death. And, you know, I work a lot on food insecurity, trying to mitigate, you know, the, the, the consequences of, of hunger. Uh, why are we deliberately making the child so malnourished so quickly that he or she dies because of malnourishment? I mean, that's an abortion method. The others are just dismemberment and, and, and a few others. <clears throat> it's violence. Yep. And we should never, ever back off from calling it for what it is. It is violence against children. And it also is so injurious of women. We know the psychological consequences are very real. They're, they're trivialized by the abortion lobby all the time. And they're very good at that, trying to suggest that there's no consequences. Um, and, and so we need to be, you know, very clear, even if we have some setbacks along the way, and we will, every human rights organ, uh, movement does. But I think people are moving in our direction. And if you look at that Maris poll, we have pretty strong, very strong support uh, for putting limitations on abortion. Uh, the Democrat initiative of, of killing babies till birth uh, is solidly rejected uh, by the American people. So our candidates who are pro-life, be they Republican or Democrat, and they tend to be more Republican than yeah. Democrat, yep. they need to just call it the way it is. Yeah. I mean, what I can't stand about politics is are, are those people who waver, are, are running away from their position, and whatever that position is, yep. whatever that issue I happens agree. to be, you know, just, just have a core conviction, you know, be, be sensitive to other people's viewpoint, and I certainly am, but when you come to the view, and I've met so many abortion survivors, women who have, who have had abortions, and now deeply regret it. Some of them are called silent no more, and they speak out yeah. uh, against it. We have the pregnancy care centers. Uh, and even in my speech today, I talked about two women who are literally on their way to an abortion mill in New Jersey. And the pregnancy care center, or pregnancy resource center, as we often call them now, right. uh, the director was there doing sidewalk counseling gently wow. and very self-effacing, you know, no, yep. no hard sell, and said, yep, yep. please. Will you reconsider? They did. They went to the pregnancy center, got all kinds of help, not just during the, you know, the pregnancy, but afterwards for years. Uh, and then at the banquet that I was at, uh, they spoke. And then two young women, girls, teenagers, spoke. They stood by the podium side by side, and they told the story of, of, of how, um, you know, they're pro-life, and they were talking about sports. Everyone said, oh, this is a good speech. Well, then they turned to the director and said, um, do you realize, had you not been there and had you not persuaded our mothers, we'd be dead? Wow. Wow. That's what's going on yeah, here. There amazing. are children, twins, uh, obviously yeah. not all well, twins, some twins. They're being killed by the abortionist uh, and their mother's hurt. We need horrible. to wrap our arms around both, love them both, uh, and to the greatest of our ability yeah. uh, to protect them both. Well, let's grab a few calls. We have a few moments. A lot of people sure. do want to talk to you. Marie <laughs> is in McAllen, Texas. That's near the Rio Grande. She's got a comment for you. Hi, Marie. Yes, good afternoon. Um, thank you so much for taking my call. I, I do listen in from time to time. Um, I'm not a Catholic. I'm an Orthodox Christian, although I um, 
was raised around a lot of Catholics and I've spent, uh, in fact, I live in Mexico for almost 12 years. So I know a little bit about the Catholic uh, philosophies. I guess my, my overall observation as a woman, as someone who um, grew up with Planned Parenthood and was, I'm thankful that I was able to um, use a service, uh, you know, in the community to make choices for myself. Um, I'm a little bit perplexed as to why um, the government and and specifically this very passionate um, gentleman from New Jersey uh, is, 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 is making it sound like pro- so I don't understand how pro-life means no option. Um, my mother also, um, you know, she was born in 1937, raised Catholic in Puerto Rico. Um, again, thought of abort, you know, as, as as an abortion as a, as a crime, you know, as, as a sin. And later in life, confessed to me that she had several abortions because apparently she had an ectopic pregnancy, and. Um, had to leave that, you know, at that time there was no abortion. I just think we live in the United States of America, the same way we have choices for the color of car that we want, the type of milk we want to drink. Please uh, let's, let's be, let's, well, let's Marie, let me do this. Choices, but I, I don't, I don't see how a man, I'm very, I'm going to be very, very, very blunt with you. Okay. What if your daughter came to you at the age of 14 years old, because we start to menstruate at 13, 14, 12 years old, yeah. came to you and said, I had sex, a boy, a football player had sex with me, and I think I'm pregnant. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to hold you on that point because we only have two minutes, and I want the congressman to respond to you as sure. well. Sure. I, I, would, all, I, would, I would tell my daughter to have that child. That, that's what I personally yeah. would do, Marie. And I'm grateful for the fact you're listening and you called. Congressman, I'm going to let you re- address her comments sure. to you. Uh, <clears throat> most of the leaders in the pro-life movement are women. Uh, I'm a man, obviously, but most of the leaders, and we saw it again today, are women. Uh, but that aside, parenthood is a shared responsibility. But when you talk about choosing a car or some commodity, some, some consumer good, uh, a child is none of that. Uh, ultrasound has shattered the myth that somehow the child is not human or alive. Uh, you know, once a woman is pregnant, she is a mother. She's not going to be a mother. Uh, and if she really doesn't want the child, there's always, you know, the, the loving option of adoption. And, uh, but, but, you know, it's, we've got to focus on the fact, and it is a fact, that abortion methods are violent. I mean, when, when you dismember a child, we know beginning at least 15 weeks onward, they feel excruciating pain. They suffer. And after that, you know, and and the evidence is overwhelming that they suffer. That's why the pain capable unborn child protection act has a series of findings, scientific, uh, that they feel pain. Uh, The heartbeat, you know, the heartbeat starts really early, but by about six or seven weeks, it is pumping strong. Uh, all the body systems are, are in the process of being working. Um, it's a child. It's not a choice. Well, Marie, you keep listening. We'd love to talk to you more. Congressman, thank you for all you do. Thank Let's you, get Drew. you back to talk about your trafficking bill, because that's another big That'd thing. That'd be great. I'd love it. We know it spikes around the uh, Super Bowl, but, boy, it's an epidemic as well. So we'll reach out to you. Enjoy your weekend, Congressman. Thank you yeah, for you all too, that you Drew. do. Thank you very much. And thank you, Marie. God bless you. It's uh, I'm out of time for the day. Until our past getting cross, I'll be praying for you. Please save a prayer for me. God bless you.